Hello, you're listening to the Palmerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit palmerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Hey, we are moving through the book of Philippians, which is a favorite book of a lot of people, including myself. We're getting near the end. We're in chapter four, and it's my privilege to stand up here and lead you through a particular section. It's only 62 words long, but those 62 words have a lot to say to us, especially in the world that we live in these days. So uh, let's, let's get going. Now, I'm starting with, uh, I don't have a copy of the outline here. Maybe you have one. If you didn't get a copy of the outline, I think you might find it helpful. So I have an usher in the back. If you just raise your hand, it's a piece of paper to, to mark a few things on. In fact, if you have one and you're looking at it, you're thinking, oh, no. We're starting with a test, <laughs> with a quiz. And I would say, no, that's not what this is. It is not a test because I don't expect you to already know this. It's actually a learning experience. It's a learning exercise. I thought the best way to get us oriented to what's happening in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, is to go back and get some of the background on what's happening. And I thought the most efficient way of doing that is just to put it out in a few quiz-like questions, but I'm not testing what you have already learned. I'm hoping to increase what you're learning, and it would also serve as a, uh, the, the background information for some things that Paul is going to tell us today that might otherwise we might not receive them with the same kind of authority as we would if we realize the situation he's in. So let's get started. I'll stop talking. Uh, The message today is Paul's answer for anxiety. Anyone interested in knowing what we should be doing about anxiety? Not that there is any in this world. Joke. Well, it's not a joke. It's a tragedy. So let's go. Um, Number one on your outline, number one, learning exercise. So Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians, to the Christians who were in the city of Philippi. Where was Paul when he wrote the letter to them? Where was he? In other words, where was he writing from? Was it Tarsus? Was it Jerusalem? Was it Antioch? Was it Rome? Now, you maybe recognize, certainly, the names of some of those cities, perhaps all of them. They're all important in the life of Paul. Um, So let's look at these. Was it Tarsus? Well, Tarsus was an important city, and it's the city where Paul was born, But that's not the place from which he wrote the letter to Philippi. 
Jerusalem, everyone knows where that city is. That was extremely important in the life of Paul for many reasons. But I just want to remind you that that's where he was educated. His parents sent him at, I think, a probably rather young age to live in Jerusalem and to learn from the rabbis there. And he had an excellent education, and it put him into the position that uh, he, he, I mean, it was foundational for his life. So, yes, that's an important city, but that's not where he was when he wrote the letter to Philippi. Was it Antioch? Antioch was also an important city. It became his base of operations for missionary endeavors. He would come back to Antioch, do some teaching, get refreshed, then go out on another missionary journey. No, where Paul was when he wrote the letter to the Philippians was he was in Rome. And do you remember why he was in Rome? He's in jail. He's in prison. And it's from that vantage point, from that situation, he wrote these things to, I, I think he probably only thought it would be to the Christians in Philippi. Maybe they would spread the letter around to people around them. And here we are, 2,000 years later, later, reading the letter again and benefiting from it. Uh, I think Paul did recognize as he was writing this out that God's Spirit was moving him in a special way. God's Spirit was giving him the words that that church needed and that the church continues to need. So, Paul was in prison. Let's move on to the next one. Earlier, Paul wrote to the Romans. So, from Rome, he wrote letters. But he also wrote a letter to Rome. We call it Romans. Duh. <laughs> but my, my question is, when Paul wrote to the Romans, he told them that he wanted to visit Rome. And then he told them why he wanted to visit Rome. Okay? Was it because it's such a fabulous destination? Which it is, of course. How many of you have been to Rome before? Well, I have to put my hand down. I hope to someday. Uh, is it because he had been there many times before? Actually, not. Uh, in fact, he said in the book of Romans, I hope to come to Rome. I've never been there before. And, and he didn't look at it as a destination. Well, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, it's because there weren't any Christians there. Well, that's not the answer. Because he's writing to the Christians at Rome. So the answer is because from there, he could launch more missions. And in fact, he told him, I'm hoping to come to Rome because then you can help me as I move further on west. He's, his plan was to go all the way to Spain. And he was going to need help and support and encouragement. And he thought the Romans would do that. And even though that story isn't told within the book of Acts, we learn from history that most likely Paul did make it to uh, Rome and Spain. All right, number three. This one actually surprised me as I was doing uh, my study recently. About how long had Paul been in custody when he wrote the letter of Philippians? He wrote from prison. So I'm asking, 
How long had he been in custody? Was it like four or five days? Was it four or five? Now, I'm, I'm asking you, just think through this. As I'm, I'm not expecting you to know it ahead of time. I actually had it a little bit wrong in my own head. Was it four or five weeks? Was it four or five months? Keep in mind, he wasn't, uh, how do I say this? He was falsely accused. And he's just trying to get a chance to clear his name. And how long did it take him? Was it four or five years? It was four to five years. Now, if you remember the story, he was arrested in Jerusalem because some people thought he broke a law, which he didn't. And he was in Jerusalem for a short time. Then there was a contract put out on his life. So they moved him from Jerusalem to the coastal city of Caesarea, where he gave his defense before several rulers. That alone lasted two years. He's just trying to clear his name, and that goes for two years. Finally, he decides to appeal to Caesar, so that to begins another long period of time, including uh, the trip to Rome, which include a shipwreck and some other adventures. And then he is housed in uh, Rome, not so much as in a prison, but under uh, house arrest. And we're told in the book of Acts that that lasted at least two years. So two plus two plus the travel, it's probably at least five, maybe even six years. Now, that's a long time to be waiting and not even really properly accused of a crime. It's just trying to clear your name. So from that perspective now, Paul is going to write to the Philippians. And you gotta ask yourself, What would I be doing if it, I was unjustifiably arrested and held against my will for that long? I think Paul, though, realized it wasn't against God's will. And so, actually, while he was in Rome, he wrote several letters Four of them are in our Bible. So God was using him and these circumstances. All right, uh, a couple more questions. Number four, the Bible specifically mentions that Paul spent time in prison in another city. Now, he himself tells us, I've been arrested many times. Uh, we don't really know too many of those places, but one is mentioned. So was it Damascus? Was it the city of Corinth? Was it the city of Philippi? Or was it the city of Thessalonica? Take a guess. Why would I be asking you this question in our series on Philippines? They would remember. Oh, yeah, when Paul was here, he spent jail time here too, didn't he? So if you remember the story, uh, Paul shows up in Philippi, not getting much traction, trying to start a church there. Usually, he would go to the city's synagogue and start with the Jewish people there and tell them about the Messiah. 
there wasn't even a synagogue in Philippi. Even though it was quite a notable city, it was quite a secular city. But they thought, Paul and his companions, well, probably on the Sabbath day, if we go out to the river, there might be a little prayer meeting going on. That would have been typical of some Jewish people. And sure enough, they found a few women. One of them was quite a notable woman, a businesswoman by the name of Lydia. And her heart was changed when Paul and his companions met with them for that little prayer meeting by the river. So she was converted and her household, but there wasn't too much else going on in Philippi. Uh, there was another story where there was a, um, a young girl who was being trafficked, not sex trafficking, but fortune-telling trafficking. But uh, she had <clears throat> slave owners who made her do their bidding and they earned money from her. And Paul didn't like that idea. He cast a demon out of her and she lost her ability to tell the future. And they were spitting mad. So that's how he got thrown in jail. This guy is a criminal. Well, he's not a criminal. They beat him up pretty good, Paul and Silas. Oh, and by the way, not are we told, not only are we told that Paul and Silas spent the night in jail, we are told what they were doing when they were in jail. Do you remember what it says? Raise your hand if you remember. They were singing and praying. After being beat up unjustly. So, and then there's an earthquake and the jailer thinks all the inmates have escaped. So he's going to kill himself. He'd rather take his own life than face what's going to happen to him the next day. This middle of the night earthquake. But Paul says, hey, 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 don't kill yourself. We're still here. And this jailer, big, rough, tough guy, says, I need to know what's in you guys. So Paul tells him about Jesus, and that night he's converted and baptized. And uh, the church begins to grow. Because the next morning then, the city officials say to Paul, you know, we're, we're sorry. We shouldn't have locked up. You can go now. Get out of here. And Paul says, nothing, not at all. I won't do that at all. You've arrested us, Roman citizens, and beat us? And all of a sudden, they realize, oh, oh, we are in big trouble. So this seems to be the turning point for that baby church in Philippi. When the city officials start apologizing, we're sorry, we're sorry, what can we do? Uh, would, you, would you mind leaving the city? Well, Paul was planning to leave at some point anyway, after the church got started. So now that he's got the attention of the mayor and the city manager, whoever was in charge there, says, yes, we're, we're ready to move on, but not until we meet the church first. So I wonder if he in, uh, introduced Lydia and some of the other, and the jailer to these city officials. It's like, now, you better watch out over them. Well, whatever happened exactly, we know it was those circumstances that allowed the church at Philippi to grow. Years later, Paul would send them the letter. 2,000 years later, we're reading it. Are you ready? Well, I still have two more questions, real quick. Because in this, well, uh, let me just say number five. Question. The Bible says, this is true or false, the Bible says, do not be anxious. True or false? It's true. 
Now, those are exactly four words that are in the text for today. Although, notice I didn't put a period at the end of do not be anxious, because there's really more to be said there. Um, so, my last question is, if the Bible says, do not be anxious, then I think, or is it, a reasonable conclusion to say, it is a sin to be anxious. True or false? Well, let me just say this. If it's a sin to be anxious, then Jesus was a sinner. Jesus in the garden, before the crucifixion, sweating drops of blood, wanting his companions to pray with him, stay awake because He's anxious about what's to happen. He, he, he knows what's going to happen, but has filled his soul with anxiety. So we all face anxiety from time to time. But Paul has something to say about it. And that's why we want to take the next few minutes to just talk to you some about Paul's answer for anxiety. Now, I, I hope you appreciate that background. I'm ready to turn to the uh, scripture now. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. These uh, 62 words of encouragement and advice. It's a favorite of many. You can memorize it. It's not that hard. And uh, so get your Bible out or your phone. And you can read it off the screen. I've... I've put it all on one screen so that we can just meditate on it for a few minutes. So here we go. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We've heard these words before. People quote them. They come right out of the prison cell of Rome to the heart of the Christians in Philippi, to our hearts, because we experience anxiety and we need to do something about it. Now, let me just say, uh, while we have the scripture on, on the screen here, let me point out a few things. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. I'm thinking, does Paul have any right to tell us that? Does he know anything about being in difficult situations? Does he have the authority and the right to tell us, look, you can do this? I think so. I think spending five years unjustly 
uh, in imprisoned, it gives you some right to speak. So let's have our hearts open to what he has to say. Then the next verse, verse 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. I kind of struggle with it. What, what is this doing in there? What is this word gentleness? Or it depends actually on the translation you're reading. So I went to BibleGateway.com, typed in Philippians 4, 5, and then you hit the button where it says, show it in every version. Oh my goodness, there's at least a dozen different ways this word is translated. In NIV, it's gentleness. But in other translations, it's let your consideration be known by all your graciousness your moderation let your kindness be known to all let your reasonableness this is really kind of a squishy word it's hard to it's hard to translate into one word uh, let your patience be known to all or one translation even says let your modesty be known i think that gives you a whole different connotation well, what is this word all about so i did some extra investigation and it has to do with this when you have the right to be strict, but instead you offer grace. When you have the right to uh, bear down on someone, but instead you treat them leniently. When you have a right to accuse them, but instead you forgive them. The picture that comes to my mind is Jean Valjean in Les Mis when he steals the bishop's silverware and gets caught and the police bring him back and say, he stole your silverware. And the bishop sizes this up right away. He knows he has the right to put Jean Valjean in jail. But instead, he responds with grace. He says, oh, they were a gift. And by the way, you forgot to take the candlesticks. And of course, that was a life-changing event in that man's life. And the bishop who had experienced grace was able to pass it on to someone else. Why? Because he knew what it was like to be forgiven by God. And I think this is what Paul is saying. Let your gentleness be known to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. You can be gracious to other people because you know God has treated you graciously. So when we say, Rejoice in the Lord always, and you're in prison. You can only really say that if you know the Lord is near, and he's watching over you, and he's going to bring something f from these circumstances. So keep that in mind when you're finding it hard to rejoice. Just how much grace God has already given you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious. But by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request, request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Um, let me ask one more question. Does Paul have any idea of what a guard would do? Being in prison, does he have any sense of what guards take care of? <laughs> yeah, of course he does. You keep 
people in their place, you guard them, you protect them, you make sure they don't wander away. And so he uses this kind of word to say, God wants to guard your heart and your mind. He wants to guard it not with this uh, um, handcuffs and a spear. He wants to guard it with peace. And he can do that. Does it make sense? No, it transcends all understanding, but it works. So I have a big question here. I have a big question. I'm, in fact, I'm going to put a big red question mark right in the middle of the passage. There it is. How do you get from anxious to peace? How do you get from anxious to peace? You can circle those words right there in the passage. How do you get from anxious to peace? Well, the answer is right there. Prayer. And so, now it's time to look at your outline, and you can fill in the first part of it. How do you get from anxious to peace? Paul's simple answer is prayer. And I guess we can just stop right there and send you home if you like simple answers. <laughs> but if maybe you found it's not always quite that easy, especially when you are experiencing anxiety, would you tell someone who's having an anxiety attack Oh, I have an idea. Go in your closet, shut the door, and pray for five minutes. You'll be fine. They might get worse. Maybe they shouldn't be in a dark closet. I don't know. Now, I'm not saying Paul is wrong. Paul is absolutely right. There, there's more to it than what Paul is saying. But this is, this is our lesson for today. And Paul has some authority to speak to us about this. So let me just say, anxiety is a complex issue because human beings are complex creations. So there's any number of things that might cause us to have, a, you know, this pain in the chest or whatever it is. Today, we're talking about, from an expert, Paul, how you can deal with anxiety. And he says, this is what I found in my life, and it's absolutely true, and that's the message God has for us today. But can I also say, you might need a counselor. There are good Christian counselors around. Take advantage of that. You might need a pastor or a Bible study leader to just talk this out a little bit. There's a good pastor around. He'll talk to you. Um, you know, and if, if it's difficult, do you think, to find a counselor who could help you, there are some online counseling opportunities. For example, faithfulcounseling.com, where there are hundreds of Christian counselors 
available by phone or Zoom or email or text, faithfulcounseling.com. There are also some other online counseling opportunities. You can get the help you need. Today we're talking about something that we're all aware of, but I want to put a different dynamic to it. So if you like simple answers, you can stop listening. But if you found life is a little more complicated, then I want to add a layer. So I want to say this. Yes, it's true. How do you get from anxious to peace? It's in the Bible, and it's been in my experience a few times. The simple answer is prayer. Oh, by the way, my wife, Linda, has often told the story, maybe you've heard it before, about when she was in sixth grade and her family was experiencing a lot of turmoil and Linda is a very sharp thinker and puts things together and when everything else around you is going crazy and you're a very logical person, it was really stressing her out badly to the, to the breaking point. Even as a sixth grader, she realized, I think I'm going crazy or am I? I don't know because what seems right to me is not what's happening in my home. And she asked her, uh, her Sunday school teacher and the pastor, you know, I've, I've heard it said that God won't give you too much, but I've been handling too much. And her Sunday school teacher says, oh, you're, you're thinking about 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where God says he'll always give you a way of escape. Really, that's not just something people say, but it's actually in the Bible. Yeah, that's a Bible verse. So she took that Bible verse, and on a particular day when she was just about ready to lose it, she went literally into her closet and closed the door and said, Now, Lord, I didn't know that this is actually in the Bible, but since it's actually in the Bible, you said you won't give me too much, but I'm at the point of too much. And when she said that prayer she instantly felt a presence and a calmness invade her body to the point she actually looked to see if someone walked in the closet with her. It was that quick and that profound, and she remembers that to this day as an example of how prayer can make the difference. God can do that. So, but for Paul, he sent him to jail for five years. So, there's more to it. What I would like to say is this. Don't think of prayer like a pill. Uh, you're not feeling well, you take a pill, and I feel better. Don't think of prayer as a pill. Because if you do, I think sooner or later you'll be disappointed. By the way, sometimes you need a pill. And in fact, I remember a time when I was supposed to give a, a talk at a church. When I got to the church, they had a, a potluck ahead of time, and I ate something that set my stomach on fire. I, this was many years ago. I was a young youth pastor guy. 
But, oh man, I thought, I'm not going to be able to give my talk tonight. My stomach is killing me. But I had enough time. There's a, a drugstore across the street from the church. I drove over there, and I'd seen these commercials for Rolaids. I've never took one before, but I thought, maybe it'll help. I popped one of those, and within five minutes, wow! You know, sometimes you just need a pill. But if you think of prayer like that, oh, oh, I have a big problem. Dear Lord, help this problem, okay? You might be disappointed. One last caveat. I was talking to a friend of mine, many of you know him, just about a week ago, and he said, by the way, I've been having these heart things, you know. I thought maybe I was having a heart attack. Went to the emergency room. The doc said, I think you might need to take some Xanax. <laughs> well, have you been taking them? I've only had to take them twice. It makes a big difference. You know, sometimes it can be just a physiological issue. So whatever you need, let's help each other. But today, I want you to hear clearly what Paul is saying. Prayer makes a difference. All right. So, but don't think of it as a pill. I think, I think that's going to be disappointing. Think of it not like a pill, but a pilgrimage. Prayer is a pilgrimage. It's not just you pop it once and all your problems go away, because that certainly was not Paul's experience. The experience he had was more like a pilgrimage. What do I mean when I say treat it like a pilgrimage? Well, um, it's all about your expectations. Prayer it's not just something you say once and then you forget about it. It's like a, it's like a long journey. And there's the first point. Four things I want to say about prayer that is evident in Paul's life. Expect it to be a long journey. It doesn't automatically solve all your problems. Why? Because have, God has bigger plans than you do. I'm sure Paul prayed many times, can't I get out of this jail? It's been a year. Can't I get out of this prison? It's been two years, three years, four years. Finally decides, I think I'm going to start writing letters to all the, all the Christians I know. <laughs> Aren't you glad he did? Because we're reading them. We're learning from them. We have a missionary family we've supported for decades. Actually, I would say almost half a century now. And uh, the Morse family. And uh, we, we, we support Johnny Morse. I think it was his grandfather who was imprisoned unjustly. This is in Asia somewhere. I forget exactly the country. I think it was Burma. And um, he was in prison. It, took a long time, finally decided, you know, I've always wanted to translate the Bible into the local dialect. So he started working on the New Testament. And the imprisonment went on and on. The day he finished Revelation chapter 22, the next day they let him out. 
Now, does God just have a bigger plan than we do sometimes? Is it possible that, that uh, whatever it is you're praying about, and it can be a source of anxiety, can you just remember that to rejoice in the Lord? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again and again and again. Um, let your gentleness be known to all because the Lord is near. That sense that God is treating me with his grace so I can treat other people with grace. But it's going to be a long journey. If I told you, oh, guess what? I get to go on a pilgrimage. Ooh, really? Where are you going? I have to pick up some things at Walmart. That's not a pilgrimage. That's an errand. You're running an errand. No, a pilgrimage is a long journey. Okay? Number two, a pilgrimage, you experience a daily journey. This is something you do every day. Prayer is something you do every day. You might have a set time and a set place. I like that. But in addition to that, you have every time and every place in the car, buy a meal, a quick one, a long one. Sometimes you might set aside an entire day, but it's a daily experience. It's not like, say, a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle that you work on a little bit today and then maybe next week. It's something because God wants to connect with you regularly. It's a daily commitment. Um, just yesterday, Linda saw this, uh, I think it was on Instagram, from Ann Voskamp. Uh, she wasn't talking so much about anxiety, but about when life is like a fog, and you're in the middle of a fog, what do you do? She said, we are called as pilgrims to live in the paradox of waiting on the Lord while we keep putting one step in front of the other, following the Lord wherever he leads. With one hand we wait and with one hand we work. The Lord tells us what belongs in the waiting hand and what belongs in the working hand. Your fog can feel like forever. Oh, I'm just stuck here. But move forward even one step at a time and your fog can be gone. Unless you're willing to move already in unfavorable conditions, you can't truly know the favor of God. Favorable conditions aren't guaranteed. Only the favor of his unconditional love. So, I don't feel like praying today. All right, if you don't feel like praying, I have a suggestion. Just talk to God about it. Number three, expect a long journey, plan to experience a daily journey, and expect to enjoy a group journey. Most of the time, a pilgrimage is not just an individual on an individual mission. Typically, a pilgrimage is a group of people. And certainly, Paul experienced that in his letters, in his travels, in his, 
in the jail cell with Silas. They're singing and praying. It's a group experience. And the prayer journey, the prayer pilgrimage is also something we get to do together. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. That's why we have, uh, what is it, pray at pomerado.com. You can send an email, and I get them every week. We get them, whoever's signed up. You can be a part of the team or be a, uh, giving the prayer request to the team. Please pray for me about this or about that. It's up, you're in a small group together. You pray as a family. You pray with your kids. Some of the most profound prayers you'll ever hear come out of little kids' hearts. So it's a group thing. As a pastor for many years, I thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to pray with other local pastors. I don't get to do that anymore because JP gets to do it. But uh, there's been something about praying together. I remember um, Pastor Daniel from a local church was saying, hey guys, would you pray for me? We, we met on a monthly basis, the local pastors, to pray together. Oh man, our budget is really tight and we had one of our main air conditioning units go out. It's gonna cost, I forget, X amount of dollars is a huge number. We don't have it. I don't know what we're going to do. And so everyone's praying for Pastor Daniel and the local church. We're in this together, you know? We're, we, um, we support each other, my goodness. Maybe you don't know that, but there's a really a good camaraderie among the local pastors. But I had something I wanted to share. Daniel, I just got to tell you, this reminds me of something that happened in our church. Maybe you were here then. It's quite a few years ago. Our church had a huge air conditioning unit go out. And it's not like we could just not fix it for a while. It was, had to be done. It was a huge amount. And it was, I believe it was the exact same time that we had a water, a major water leak. And we didn't know it until the water bill came in. It was huge. And we looked at what was in the bank account, and we thought, we're in trouble. And it all had to be done before the next Sunday. And, um, but we got the key leaders together. We prayed together. We didn't even have time to inform the congregation. Let's just pray about this. Next Sunday has to be a huge offering. And so I'm explaining this to Daniel. Because what happened was we had a new family visit the church, and I went to their house to talk with them, and they said, we're going to join the church. Oh, great. We're glad to have you. And by the way, he handed me an envelope. We've been, since we moved into town, and we left our church, it had been quite some time, we've been saving all of our tithe money until we found the right church. So here's our tithe money. It was a big, fat envelope. I never opened it up and looked inside it. I just knew from then on that the offering and the prayers that God was in charge of this and sure enough to at that time that was the largest uh, single Sunday offering we had ever had so I said this to Daniel I don't know what God's going to do but this is what happens you pray together I remember a time when that happened to us and God really did it in a great a great way well Daniel called me back about three days later you'll never believe what happened I was pretty sure I would believe it. I had one of the leaders of my church come in. He said, Daniel, you know, we do the automatic bank uh, draft, you know, to the church as our offering, so I don't have to write a check every week. Pa 
But when I was looking at the bank statement, gosh, it's been about a year, they've been putting the wrong amount in every week and I didn't even know that. So here's a check for the difference. And he handed him a great big fat check. Daniel and I both laughed. Isn't God awesome? Because his people traveled the journey together. And just expect that. It's not a pill. It's a pilgrimage. It's a long journey. It's a daily journey. It's a group journey. But you also have to envision, I don't know the word to use. I wanted to say transcendent, but I had trouble spelling it. <laughs> Let's just say it's a profound journey because God cares about you. He cares about what you're anxious about. He knows you've been in a tight situation, maybe for years. He's got a bigger plan than that. He not only wants you to take the silverware, he has the candlesticks for you too. Give him time, join together, keep walking. The fog will lift. Look, I know it's a simplistic answer, but it also is a simple answer. And it also is Paul's advice to you today. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. God is near. Pray. And join the pilgrimage. Because prayer is not just a pill. It's a pilgrimage. Now, we're going to pray right now. And I have with me my communion cup with the bread and the juice that reminds me of the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, I don't know, maybe you're new here today. Maybe you didn't see the little basket of cups. By the way, if you want to join us for communion today, Raise your hand. We have an usher in the back. He'll bring this to you. And uh, we don't necessarily do it in unison. We just know that we're in this together. And we're like Paul and Silas. We're like Lydia and Philippi. We're like the Christians at Rome and the Christians at Philippi and, and uh, wherever they are all around the world today. People are submitting our anxieties, our concerns, to the master who's planned it all out. And so uh, you can bow your head and let me just vocalize a brief prayer and then you add to it your prayers. And then when you're ready, the bread and the blood will remind you just how committed God is to you. And he wants you to be partnered with him. Thank you, Lord, for the reminders. Thank you for the journey. Sometimes there's fog. Sometimes there's anxiety. Sometimes there's singing and rejoicing even in jail cells. But today we, we remember that night when Jesus experienced a lot of anxiety and how he told his followers, 
do this in remembrance of me. He also reminded him the Holy Spirit's going to come. It's all going to work out. And um, we know a lot of the rest of the story. We just don't know the rest of our story. But you do, so we commit ourselves, Lord, to you. Let's pray and commune together. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.